Jesus, you are worthy, you are holy, and we cry, Hosanna. Thank you for saving. Thank you for saving us from the wrath of the Father. Father, your righteous anger against sinners. that we deserved. And yet in your mercy, set your love upon us. And through your son, through the blood and body of your son, redeemed a people for your own possession. Thank you for saving us. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus, you are worthy. You are holy. You are the lamb that was slain. Now continue working by your Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Help us as we hear your word from Pastor Rick. Help us to be doers of the word, not hearers only, but give us ears to hear, hearts to hear. Help Pastor Rick to speak boldly, to proclaim your word without fear. And help us to worship over your word and worship your son because of your word. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your mercy. the mercy of withholding your wrath and pouring it out on your son and the grace of imputed righteousness so that we can enjoy you forever. You are the treasure to be enjoyed. You are all that satisfies. Be the satisfaction of our souls. Be the deepest joy of our desires. Do it all for your glory through your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that all God's people said, amen and amen. You can be seated as we continue in worship. The week of his crucifixion, Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem. The events that follow will literally change the world. He rides through the crowd, not on a white horse, but on a borrowed donkey. The people bow down, shout Hosanna, and wait for his next move. 
The crowds not only place palm branches at his feet, but they also place on his shoulders their own expectations of a conquering king who will overthrow Rome. Jesus will not only disappoint them, he will disrupt them and will shatter their assumptions about power and justice. You're invited into a moment of reset and discovery because the events around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus are the absolute answer to every longing heart. May God give us eyes to see. I'm so glad that you joined us today. If we go back in history, if we do, this is the week, the start of a week that changed everything. Let's pray. Let's do that. Father, so many of us who have gathered here, wow, we've heard this story. We've heard this story so much. Palm branches, and then the Last Supper, and then the crucifixion, and then the empty tomb, and and we hear these stories over and over. And sometimes, God, they become stories. We would ask this day that you would open our eyes, that we would see you clearly, that we would see you because when we see you, we see your love, we see your mercy, we understand your justice, and we are in awe. The actions that follow are actions that, that come from a full heart. We don't do things because we're supposed to. We do things because we get to. So, Father, as we open up your word, as we revisit a story, we know how important this is. We we know, Lord, that it was a day that Jesus faced Jerusalem. The beginning of the end. The time when, when we would be well, emancipated. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, there's a difference between shock and surprise. Shock is a jolt. Now, for any of you would-be electricians, right? There's, There's a few of you. And you're warned over and over and over and over again, don't get bit. You go, bit? Well, what's that? If you've been bit, you know what that is. For somehow you just forgot that this white wire and this black wire ought not to be touched at the same time. That's all. It's a simple procedure. Don't touch them. But every once in a while, a screwdriver will hit something, or every once in a while, you might graze up against this, this open, and all of a sudden, maybe there's not even some sparks, but you just go, Wah! 
Never, never, never do I want to do that again. And hopefully, hopefully it wasn't too powerful. But all of a sudden, it, it has your attention, right? All of a sudden, you see little weld marks. All of a sudden, you go like, oh boy, I better call someone, or I better redo this, or I'm going to do this tomorrow when I'm a little bit more alert. There's all kinds of things, but none of us, after you get bit, just go ahead and grab the wire again. Oh, this was fun. (laughs) No, never. Now, surprise is usually expected, but we just don't know the timing or the details. Let me try to explain this. Shock is having a C average in high school and getting into Northwestern, University of Chicago, or an Ivy League school. Surprise is graduating as the valedictorian and learning which Ivy League school has accepted you. Shock is being the preseason last place pick in your conference and then winning the national title. While surprise, well, you're one of the top 10 schools in the nation, and you're just wondering who's going to win the national title. Well, Shock is getting a bid for a new house when there are 10 higher offers than yours. Surprise is just simply being qualified for a house, not knowing when or where you'll purchase. Shock is meeting your boss. Oh, you're expecting a promotion with a raise, and you get let go. Surprise is knowing your company is being sold. You're just not knowing when the conversation's going to come. Shock is having someone propose to you after the second date. (laughs) Surprise happens when the proposal comes during your seventh year of dating. You know, we could go on, right? We could. But there's a difference between shock and surprise. And Jesus the Messiah shocked the Jews. Jesus, the Messiah, surprises us. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but let me explain. The Jews had a tough time of it, mostly because they just actually didn't listen to God. But they had been harassed and abused and ruled by many foreign powers. Yet in spite of their arrogance and rebellion against the Almighty God, their loving God, God was faithful. For centuries, God consistently sent priests and prophets who gave them a message of hope, the promise of a coming Messiah, a Savior. Over and over and over again, the story was told in the marketplace or was told around the dinner table or it was told as you were going to bed. All the while, the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans were ruling. These oppressive governments were harsh. They were unjust and they were evil. 
when would the Messiah come? When would the Savior arrive? Israel cried out for, for relief, for a powerful ruler. A ruler, well, it would be a king who could bring prosperity and peace and justice. So you can see why the Jews in the first century were shocked. In the Hebrews' world, their Messiah would be born into a powerful family. Not born in a stable to an impoverished commoner. To a Jew, nothing ever came out of Nazareth that was good. So how could the long-awaited Messiah? No one even knows much about Jesus for the first 30 years of his life. Yet we know Jesus was unique. He was the Son of God, sent to be the Savior of the world. He was born miraculously, but grew up normally, experiencing what most Jewish boys slash men would experience during the first 30 years of their life living in Israel. But he was 100% man and 100% God. That doesn't add up. That confuses us. That's an antinomy. But somewhere around age 30, he begins to preach travel around and do miracles. He gathers a group of disciples. There's actually quite a few, but he spends the most time with 12. And if you and I were picking, most of us probably wouldn't choose these 12. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus visits his hometown early in his ministry. And he actually declares that he's the Messiah. Oh boy, this did not go well. In Luke chapter 4, I'm going to start reading it, verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Now, here's where it gets good. Verse 16. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Starting at verse 18. This is what Isaiah wrote. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. To every Jew, they knew what this passage meant. They were talking about, Isaiah was talking about the Messiah. In verse 20, Jesus, he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak. 
the scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him, and he was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. But how could this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Oh, can you imagine that? Comes back home, goes to the synagogue, the scroll of Isaiah handed to him. He goes, flips over to Isaiah 61. He reads this text. He sits down and then basically says, hey, by the way, the anticipated Messiah, it just is fulfilled today in me. Well, some of the more polite ones started to question. Whoa, 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 Wait. You're Joe's kid. (laughs) I I know you. This doesn't make sense. And he goes on and speaks a little bit more, but starting in verse 28, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him, forced him to the edge of the hill on on which the town was built. They intended to push him off the cliff, but he passed right by. Things didn't go very well. You're the Messiah? I don't think so. A mob forms. They push him out. And miraculously, Jesus just kind of walks through the crowd. You see, Jesus disappointed the Jews not by using his power or authority to destroy Rome politically, but he shocked the multitudes as he displayed his authority over the wind. Nobody could do that. Or his authority over the waves in the middle of a storm. Be calm. Over disease. Over the laws of physics. Nobody walks on water. At least that they've known about. So these are all shocking things that eventually takes care of hunger. And even death. People are rubbing their eyes. People are shocked. But, but if this is the Messiah, we, we want relief. We, the Romans are too much. People were also shocked by the way Jesus treated them. Nobody treated the folks in Israel like Jesus. Uh, let me explain. The religious leaders... Remember the Pharisees and the scribes, those very, very holy men? Well, they thought, again, they had a special connection to God, and they had special authority, and they walked around being very, very, well, prominent. They believed they were close to God. But Jesus came along and confronted them for their blindness and hypocrisy. Nobody did that. The Samaritans back in that day were racial outcasts. They were the dregs of society. But Jesus embraced them, talked to them, and he broke racial barriers. The Roman officials, instead of being spat upon and and abused, They were respected in spite of their party affiliation. 
Jesus treated women and children like nobody else. In that culture, they were demeaned. They really weren't, shall I say, high on the social ladder. But Jesus honored them, even elevated them and highlighted them. The poor, well, they begged for survival. But Jesus gave them dignity. The sick at that time were burdens. Oh, just take care of yourself. In fact, most people thought if you were sick, you were really bad sinners. God must be judging you. Jesus was drawn to them. Jesus interacted with them, and Jesus healed them. Christ's message as he went around the countryside was simple. Repent. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom you've been waiting for is here. And the Jews would say, what? Where's your army? Where's your weaponry? What are you talking about? The Messiah we're looking uh, and repent? What's the whole idea about repenting? What's the big deal? I guess they didn't understand that the Messiah came in order to connect them with God and how important it was for them to be able to deal with their sin and enter the kingdom and come underneath God's reign and rule. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, Mark writes this, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. We could say it any other way. This was the news you're waiting for. This was the news you're hoping for. This is the news for hundreds of years you have been talking about. The Messiah is here, and he began to teach and preach God's good news. And this is it. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near, or the kingdom of God is here. It's approaching. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. It will change your lives. And so many of them said, well, we want the Romans out. I don't want my heart to be changed. What are you doing? The scriptures tell us that as he went through well, the countryside, in Luke chapter 19, that the people hung on every word. Can you imagine listening to Jesus teach? We have some of his teachings. But how he captured a crowd, how he talked, and how in some ways he displayed who God was, but also was very honest and forthright. What's scary is this is that although people hung on every word and they thought he was an amazing preacher, most of them didn't believe. Now, now that, that's odd, right? I mean, even if Jesus were here today and he did a few miracles, don't you think like everybody there would believe? Don't you think that would happen? In John chapter 12, verse 37... John writes this, but despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still didn't believe in him. 
and we don't know why, but probably they're just disappointed. It's not what they wanted. Probably the message, well, you mean I can't be in charge of my own life? I have to do what you ask me to do? Oh, my. Jesus, the king, was a humble king. Zechariah prophesied that the Messiah would come into Jerusalem on a donkey and that Jesus would come as a king. Now, that was prophesied in Zechariah 9. But this is the day we're looking at. This is the day, I think actually the palm branches were bigger than this. Just so you know, okay? Uh, it would take a lot of these babies to put in the road and, and honor. But, but this is really for you to take home and use this bookmark for about a week before it dries up. All right? But, but here it is. This king of glory, king of kings. There's shouts of Hosanna. There's throwing of palms. In fact, look at Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21. Let me start reading. Starting in verse 1. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethsage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them ahead, go into the village over there, and as soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anybody asks what you're doing, just say, hey, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Israel, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Verse 6, the two disciples did just as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him, threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and people all around him were shouting, well, shouting what we've been singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise God. Save us now. You're the king. We've been waiting for you, for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God, Hosanna, in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who, who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Galilee. Again, we read back, and it sounds kind of sentimental. It's kind of nice, right? I mean, in our culture, but, but that's not how the king of kings probably ought to write into a city. It wasn't some magnificent chariots or, or white horses or, or parades or any of those things. He was riding on a donkey, which in some cultures, again, that's how humble kings come in. But people are shouting. People are ready to receive him. People are recognizing, okay, this is amazing. God is here. 
But you know, as we understand what's happening, this was a critical time. This was a critical time when, when Jesus was looking at Jerusalem. I think it was at this time he recognized what his father had asked him to do and that he was going to be obedient. He was going to submit to his father and he was going to go down this path would eventually lead to a cross and to his breath be taken from him. He started down this road. And if we look at it, I think Christ's obedience is shocking right here. Dying for someone you love is one thing. Dying for people who have mostly abused you and will abuse you in just a little bit is another thing. Dying, well, shall we say, with a guillotine. I'm assuming that's pretty fast, right? No problem, no pain. Like, okay, one moment you're talking and the next moment you're not. You're done. But Jesus, you're choosing to do this? To be mocked and spit upon and whipped and scourged and nailed? This is part of the obedience? And and I'm going to listen to my father? In Philippians chapter 2, let me start reading in verse 6. Gives us a little idea of who Jesus is. Though, this is the apostle Paul writing, speaking about Jesus, though he was God, though Jesus was God, He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor. He gave him name above all other names. That name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue shall declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Didn't get it, didn't understand it. But realistically, His obedience, he knew, was what God wanted so that we might have a relationship. You see, Jesus was perfect. He was. 100% God, 100% man, but in his humanity, he listened to God perfectly. And he became the perfect once-for-all sacrifice. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, the Apostle, Paul write, or Apostle John writes this. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. In other words, 
without him, we don't, don't have eternal life. But because of what Jesus did, we have the possibility of having eternal life. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice, as a propitiation for us so that we might have our sin taken away. It was Christ's blood that paid our debt. It was because Jesus listened to his father and he died and satisfied God's wrath. All sounds so gory, but the truth is this, that's the only way you and I can have a relationship. Jesus did this, he obeyed the father so that we can have a relationship now. Now, but not only now, forever. You know, I've been using the term a million years because forever sometimes seems fuzzy to me. All right, I will be with God forever. Now, actually, a million years is pretty fuzzy too, just so you know. But at least it feels like Whoa, it's longer than a year, or two, or five. But, but that's why Jesus came. So no wonder the Jews were in shock. No wonder. The God of the universe is not supposed to behave like this. Now, on the other hand, most of us who have grown up here in the States... Maybe even some haven't traveled very much. But we have heard that story over and over and over again. And sometimes that doesn't affect us that much. And maybe it just surprises us. So on one hand, to the Jews they were shocked, but to us the Son of God in this story just surprises us. Now, Christ's behavior may be more of a shock if we were under the first century Roman rule like the Jews were. And we heard the promises day after day after day. I I get it. And it might also be different if we lived in a different part of the world. Yet, what we're seeing now in the States especially those who have been around and seen some of the deterioration, is that the evil and the chaos of our country has all of a sudden got our attention. Economically, judicially, as we look around and we wonder Whoa, our world is out of control. Our, our, the chaos seems to be overwhelming. And now all of a sudden, in some places, we're starting to see somebody bigger than a president, more powerful than a businessman, more popular than a sports star in order to save us. We're going to need to be rescued. 
It looks like things are not going well. None of us are guaranteed jobs. None of us are guaranteed health. None of us are, and we can just start putting that down. We need someone bigger. We need a Savior. And Jesus came to save people either struggling with hope or without hope. I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. I don't know who to trust. I need you, Jesus. And on top of all that, if we just want to be honest, Jesus came so that we might have a relationship. Are you serious? Like the almighty God, creator God, wants to literally hang out with me? Wants to talk to me. What are you thinking? But that's what Jesus did. He came to restore a relationship. If you remember, whoa, long time ago, God set up a perfect place, a perfect planet. He put two people there and he says, hey, you know what? We're going to enjoy each other. Now, I'm not sure how long it took, but it didn't take long. And they said, no, we would rather do our own thing, go our own way. And sin entered, and a relationship was broken. How horrific. God still said, I love them. I want a relationship with them. And I want a relationship with you. So Jesus gave his life so that we might have purpose in life. I love John chapter 10, verse 10. And so many times we just quote the last part of the verse. But I think it's really important that we understand this is a section about the good shepherd. And Jesus is speaking, he's teaching, he basically says this, the thief's purpose or everybody else out there, not the good shepherd, all the other promises, all the other things you're trying to get a buzz from, well, the enemy Satan, his purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. Aren't those kind of nasty words? I mean, just think of it. Would you want to hang out with someone who says, hey, just by the way, I just want to steal, kill, and destroy you. Hey, sign me up. Let's go to DQ. You know, I'd love to get to know you. How ridiculous. But the alternative I mean, Jesus is the alternative to that. And and he says this. He goes, my purpose, reason I won't be part of your life, the reason I came is so that I can give you a rich and satisfying life. And what's so amazing is that, hey, I'm going to walk with you now in all the chaos, and there's going to be a purpose, and there's going to be a reason, and eventually when you close your eyes, you're going to spend the next million years with me. With me. (laughs) Jesus gives us reason to live and an opportunity to invest and a joy forever. And yet, if we're honest, some of us struggle. We know that 
God is bigger and smarter and wiser, more powerful. But we still like our own way. We still like our own methods. We still think, again, that we have more upstairs than God. And so we're surprised. Why should I follow him? Why should I obey him? Why should I submit to him? Because really, none of us like submitting to any authority. And especially to someone who's always right. Like, seriously? Yeah, that's who God is. Listen to me. Yoke yourself up with me. I'm the good shepherd. Follow me. Listen to me. I will tell you when to rest. I will tell you when to walk. I will tell you where your pathway goes. I am the good shepherd. Listen to me. If you don't listen to me, it won't go well. It won't. I love when the apostle Paul writes to Titus, a pastor. In Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11 and going through 14. This is amazing. These words will give you wings. He starts off and says this. Hey, Titus, Pastor Titus, for the grace of God has been revealed. You know all about God's grace, how much he loves you, how much he cares about you, how much he wants a relationship with you. You know about that. And that God has brought salvation to all people, not just some. And we... Christians are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. Say, whoa, whoa, I'm going to miss out. See, as soon as we say that, as soon as we say that, we don't understand how big and wonderful and gracious God is. We just don't. We think we will miss out. (laughs) The enemy has deceived us. And then Paul writes this, we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope. And and it's not the, well, I hope. This This is an assurance Why we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. We look forward to the time you come back, and we look forward to the time when you're going to come back as the king, the king of kings. Now, you are the king. We know. We do. But when you come back, when time is done, when you have said, okay, It is going to be amazing and powerful. Jesus Christ will be revealed like none of us have ever seen. And then verse 14, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. We think again sin satisfies, and by the way, it does. It's very short-term satisfaction. Absolutely. But sin has always the same result. It brings death. It brings death to yourself. It, it severs your relationship with God. It hurts others. Always. 
He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. There isn't a sin that Jesus can't free you from. A shackle. He, he gave his life to cleanse us so that we can have relationship. He gave his life to make us his very own people. He will call you son. He will call you daughter. Tell me. You deserve that. I don't. How cool is that? Totally committed to doing good deeds. Yeah, that's why you're here. Jesus gave his life, so I don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. Jesus gave his life so I can be cleansed and I can have a relationship. Jesus died. So I can be called son and reflect him well by all the things I do. Yet, in spite of all this, in spite of all this, sometimes we're just surprised. I guess my prayer is that our wonder grows that we wake up every day overwhelmed by God's grace, saying, I can't believe this. I cannot believe it. I'm shocked. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for shedding your blood. Thank you for giving me victory. Thank you. Thank you for being my Savior. Thank you. And as our wonder grows, I pray our hope arises that we have more and more and more passion for what God's having us to do. I'm praying that all of us today will see God clearer, will see Jesus clearer, that our hearts will be melted. And if we do, I believe our awe naturally grows and our praise flows. This week here at Crosspoint, we have an opportunity to focus on a week that changed history, that made all this happen. Oh, I hope you can take advantage of some of this. Let's bow our heads at this moment, would you please? And I'd love you to bow your head just simply because I would like you just to talk to God for a moment. Just between you and God, that's it. No one's looking around and no one's going to ask for a raise of hands or you're standing up or anything today. I, I just want you to shut your eyes and I want you to talk to God and say, God, I needed this reminder. Or, or maybe you're in a place where you don't even know the Lord Jesus and you'd like to take him as Savior. My friends, let's just be quiet and pray that our understanding of who God is and what he did shifts from being surprised to shocked. Let's pray. Let's just pray quietly, and I'm going to close in a moment.
Father, the, the truth is, back when Jesus entered Jerusalem and there were shouts of Hosanna, probably most of those people had no idea what they were asking Jesus to do. And God, in some ways, we don't either. But we're asking you to save us. That we, Father, first of all, would start a relationship with you if we don't have one. But that we would come underneath your authority and recognize how much you love us and desire for us to walk with you. And that as we see you clear, we are just overwhelmed by your grace, overwhelmed by your love, overwhelmed by all that you're doing on our behalf. Would we recognize that authority? And would we sing Hosanna? Because we need you every day. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.